And we are live with Living the Guide Life podcast today. Finally warm enough outside. Turkeys are strutting. We're dog training. Snow's melting. So many good things happening right now up in the north woods. And we really can't complain too much. I mean, I've been doing a whole lot besides doing a little dog training and, you know, just trying to wait for the snow to melt and the cold to go away because it's, it's been about 40 degrees now for a couple of days. And we're finally starting to melt a lot of snow and, you know, really see some good changes. So we're excited, ready to get back out and uh, get after it, you know. But today... We are brought to you by Bourbon Media, and I'm going to give them a second here. If you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry, we get it. The words digital marketing can be intimidating. You're a grunt work, sweat it out, bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business. We at Bourbon Media can help you push it even further. We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression. And if you haven't checked out their websites, I would highly recommend it. They just dropped a new one. and. I mean, the quality is like none other, so make sure to go check them out. As well as we are brought to you by Chasing Fowl Outfitters, make sure to go check out our website to buy some Snow Goose merch. We have 10% off if you use the code JUVIEJIGGIN, so make sure to go, uh, go figure out if that's for you. And we are also brought to you by Mallard Bay. And if you haven't checked them out, they are the real deal for finding all your hunting adventure needs and fishing needs anywhere you want to go. Um, look up a state, look up a price, look up what you want to do, and they probably have it on there. So it's an all-around great place to go find out what uh, what you want to hunt and I mean what, what your price range is going to give you for that state. So... Make sure to go check them out, and uh, they're always up to date, getting new outfitters in every day, so check that out. Also, we are brought to you by Pacific Calls. If you haven't checked out their merchandise line, it's incredible. If you haven't checked out all their calls yet, they are awesome. I use the PCG for a goose call during my season, and I use their Aces Duck Call. Um those are my two favorites. Also, with snow goose season happening right now, it might not be a bad idea to go buy a snow goose call and switch some things up. They're seeing a lot of e-callers, but having that snow goose call might just might just be the trick. So, I would highly recommend you guys go check that out. But today, we have Craig Francis on, who is a Montana... Montana... Why... I'm struggling to say that right now. Montana. Yeah. Montana native. Um, and he's lived there for a few years now. And, I mean, he's done some incredible work. He was on the Filson team for a couple years, then went over to Sitka and became, became the creative producer over there. And he's been doing some killer stuff. 
So I would highly recommend that you guys go, I mean, just take a little deep dive into the back work of what he does. He is, his main slogan is, you know, helping creatives build the lifestyle they want. And talking to Craig, he is just have so much knowledge in so many different aspects of being a creative because he's really done it all. He's been in the, you know, Sitka side of things, Felsen. He's done the freelance stuff. He's done, I mean, everything that a creative has to walk through, he's probably he's probably been in their shoes. So I would, I mean, just highly recommend looking him up. He's got a new website coming out that will, you know, be more of a coaching style and helpful way for creatives to reach out to him and figure out a time to set up where, you know, he can get, get some work done for them and help them out and really figure out what they need to do. So Craig is an awesome guy and we talk about some awesome stuff. Also, he gives us a little insight on some stuff Sitka has coming out. Um, it may or may not be related to turkeys for you turkey guys. So I would just definitely listen in on that. And uh, this has been an awesome episode. So I know you guys will really enjoy this one. We are live with Living the Guide Life podcast, and we have Craig Francis on today, who is a senior producer over at Sitka. And if you have checked out his Instagram, he is there to help creatives build the lives they want. So, Craig, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for joining. How's uh, how's the weather out in Bozeman? How's the snow and everything out there? Uh, there's not as much snow as I wish there was. Uh, yeah. It's been... Yeah, it's been pretty light snow year this year, which is not great for antler growth and skiing and all the things that I like. Uh, but it's been pretty cold recently. It was negative uh, 20 the other day. I didn't get above zero, but we're up to a solid 12 today. So in a, in a, warm, in a warm stretch right now. Yep. I'm in the same boat because I'm up in Minnesota right now. So we're, we're right there with you. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's, it was, it was like, 12 or 15 degrees out today so i'm feeling your pain i'm ready ready for it to get spring yeah same but i wanted to ask you you said antler growth and the snow how does that affect it uh so here um you know intermountain rockies the more snow you get the more uh you know spring runoff spring melt there is yeah. more water more antler growth carries through the summer okay. we've had a couple of really dry summers recently so uh, you know, loosely, it's fair to say more snow in the winter equals more water throughout the spring and summer equals more antler growth. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah Cause I was out, I was out in Montana this past summer and yeah, it was drier than all get up. It was hot. Yeah. It was super hot. Yeah. I'm from South Carolina originally. Uh, I've been away from there for gosh, five years now, but we had probably like a six or seven day stretch here in bozeman last summer there was over 100 like yeah. six or seven days in a row which does not that does not happen here and I, i've gotten soft man i can't i can't deal with the heat anymore i don't like it <laughs> yeah because we were out there yeah it was like late july is because we we go fly fish out 
and like make just a whole trip through Montana. Mm -hmm. And so we were in Ennis and then went up to Rock Creek and then kind of went all the way up through there and stuff like that. And it was hot and you couldn't, couldn't have fires too. Cause they, yeah. they turned off all fires. You couldn't have bonfires. It was all dry. And I mean, when we were driving through, there was, we saw a lot of forest fires, like even just yeah. on the sides of the road. Yeah. Last summer was bad. We had a couple, uh, you know, North towards Boulder. There's a big one, which is not far from here. Um, two years ago, we actually had one like just North of town in Bozeman. You can, like, I can see it still from my house where the burn is. Um, it's it's been a really dry couple of years which is not great so yeah uh, yeah i'd love a i'd love a wet heavy march <laughs> snow yeah but we'll see what we get yeah because i mean when we were driving like there was there's one fire in mine that i remember is like right off the side of the road and there was a rancher trying to put it out and it was like i don't know maybe not even a truck wide and then mm-hmm. we turned around because we had some shovels in the back or whatever that we could maybe try to help put it out. And by that time it was like covering like half the field. And it was just, yeah, man, it's been so dry out here the last few years that, that fire is like, a, is actually like a very serious concern. Um, yeah. Because I don't know the boy, the boys on the wildland cruise have been busy. I'll say that. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what, what made you come up from South Carolina? Man, I, I've kind of been all over. Um, I, I mean, I grew up in South Carolina, but I've lived in Kansas City. I've lived in Seattle. Um, I've like traveled a ton and like had a residence somewhere, but never like didn't really live there at the time. Yeah. So I've kind of been all over. But what what brought me to to Montana was work. Um, when I I've been at Sitka for uh, about two and a half years, so that's what mm-hmm. brought me out here. Okay, and how's everything yeah. been at Sitka? with work uh, uh in what regard like with my work specifically i mean yeah business has been great like we we've been growing like crazy the last few years which is super exciting um yeah. obviously you know with the the way that the world has changed in the last couple of years pandemic and all that stuff people spending more time outside i think um most outdoor industry businesses over the last two years have seen a lot of growth and you know yeah. we we uh certainly all that as well um so it's, it's been a rocket ship man it's super exciting uh it's exactly like what i what i came here to to do um so so i'm a, the senior producer on our uh brand and creative team and so basically the way that i explain that to people is um like all of our words pictures and videos like come through our team and okay. i'm the uh, i'm the producer one of the two producers on that team we just hired another guy uh a few months ago so it's been just me for quite a while now but okay. uh super super fun team uh man i've had some tough jobs in the past and this is not one of them uh, <laughs> we, we work hard and we play hard but it's uh it's it's pretty rad man i love my job yeah how's having the new depot in bozeman uh, it's cool, man. It, it's it's a it's a great way for you know local consumers or you know Bozeman especially um, is like a, a kind of a tourist hub town. People that want to go to Yellowstone, uh, people that that you know come ski. Um, so our consumers or fans of the brand or people that like don't even really know us. It gives them uh, a physical location to come and get hands on with the brand, like try on 
a bunch of different stuff, like experience the product in a way that, you know, maybe they can't do if they don't have a wholesale account where they're from. Uh, and so it's been really great to, to, to have that offering for our consumers here in town, um, you know, to, to be kind of a, a hub of brand experience. Uh, you know, I don't know this, this will already be gone by the time this podcast comes out, but like tomorrow afternoon at the depot, um, John Barklow, who's, who's uh, one of the leads of our product team, is our longstanding big game category manager. Uh, some of your listeners might be familiar with him. Yeah. But he's teaching a seminar on on how to layer and create your layering systems tomorrow at the depot. And so that it, it's a great venue for us to be able to host events, do cool things. Um, you know, th- this past fall, we had a big uh, w- event that we call Converge, which is like friends of the brand, all of our ambassadors, we bring them in, we do live music, we do food and drinks, um, yeah. and just like get a hang with like, it, it's funny, man, like working officially in the outdoor industry, one of the jokes that I say is like, there's like seven people that work in the industry and like two of them are on this call right now. Yeah, It feels so small. And so yeah. like at that Converge event, it was like, like, these are all of my friends that I work with that live all over North America. Um, and it's cool to like have an official place for the brand for us, like even as just like hunters and fishermen and outdoor people yeah. to just gather, have some community, do some uh, experiential, just like get a good hang. Yeah. So the, the depot has been super fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we stopped there um, when we went out. And I feel like everybody that's a hunter or whatever, I mean, it's like a must to stop there now. Cause I, I, we just had to swing by. We're like, we had to check it out. Like, it seems like such a cool store. Like if yeah, you're driving through Bozeman, why not? Yeah. We put a ton of work into it too. Um, and we refresh it a lot. So one of the projects that, that the creative team uh, that we work on a lot is anytime we have like a, a new, um, like a new product launch moment or uh, a new category. Um, we like can change, we have like massive walls inside the building that have, you know, huge uh, selections of our imagery. We have a, a section of the store, it's called the garage wall, which is like very tactical. We do new images. We'll, we'll put, uh, you know, we can kind of style product within that space, put physical objects, elk sheds, turkey fans, like all kind of stuff to just make this like visual merchandising experience that represents whatever it is that we're doing as a brand at the time. Um, And uh, the team that I'm on, we work on that a lot. And so uh, if you've been to the store and it's been a little while, like you should come back because it's like totally different. We're always cycling through you know, uh, if you were in there, you saw the big screen where we like yeah. loop our films. There'll be a bunch of new films on there very soon. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, man, it's a, it's cool. I'd encourage you know anybody in your audience if you're cruising through Bozeman, um, you know, come through, have a beer, hang yeah. out, talk to the guys in the stores. Great group of people that work in there that can answer any questions about our products. So it's worth the pit stop for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just a great place to go hang out. And yeah, like they had some IPAs there when we went, had a few IPAs and kind of just hung yep. out and tried on yeah. a bunch of gear and stuff like that. And it was, it was a lot of fun. 
yeah, it's worth mentioning too. Um, we've got what we call our revive and repair section within that store. And so yeah. if you have any of our stuff um, that like, you know, let's say you, you know, burned a hole in your, in your puffy jacket, touching the, the stove in the tent last fall, or you've got, you know, a rip in something, we have on-site repair facility there in the store yeah. that will like on the spot or we'll get it in queue if it's a more expensive repair. We'll hold it for you, fix it, send it back to you, like all part of our like great warranty that we have on all of our products. So that's a that's another good reason to stop in. If if uh if you've got some character built into your gear after some hard use, we'll shape it up for you. Absolutely. And what's it like? working at Sitka compared to like some of the other places you worked like what's the um, atmosphere like there well so maybe we should talk about some of the other places i've worked for yeah. so i could i could answer that question yeah because i um, noticed you worked at filson for a little bit i did yeah yeah um so that was i was in seattle before i came to to bozeman but i'll, I'll give you the, i'll give you the quick and dirt it could take a little while to run through this thing but i'll give you the quick yeah. version and then we could double back wherever you want um <laughs> Yeah, I graduated from Clemson University in 2010. Um, my my degree is in community recreation, sport, and camp management, which is like a very curious degree that I do next to nothing with. However, like uh, it was it was fun at the time. Yeah. Um, man, I've I've done a ton of things since then. That was like coming off the tail of the big like 0809 recession. Yeah. Um, there weren't a ton of jobs to be had. I kind of did like, I, I did landscaping. I worked at a church for a while. Uh, I poured concrete. I worked at Starbucks, yeah. which like, and these are that, this is all like post-college. So it's not like the, I grew up in a house that was like, go to college, get a degree, get a job. That did not happen for me. Uh, I had to like figure, figure it out for a while. Um, yeah. But uh, I did the Starbucks thing for a while. I actually had always really enjoyed coffee. And then there was, uh, I'm living in South Carolina at the time. This is 2012, so 10 years ago. Um, there was a small coffee roastery in that town that kind of serviced a ton of the restaurants there. I ended up getting an apprenticeship there and learned how to roast coffee. And then kind of, I worked there for almost two years um, and kind of, built my way up to be in the operations manager of this small coffee roastery um, and got like quite enamored with the process of roasting coffee. Yeah. Um, and so from there went to another roastery and worked for um, a Brazilian company doing quality control roast on some of the like world's most rare, finest, incredible coffees. And I did that for like a year, uh, which is yeah. super awesome actually. Um, that sounds pretty neat. Yeah, it was cool, man. Like working with your hands, like making um, making something that most people enjoy. Uh, it was actually really neat. I, I liked it. Um, there was kind of like a limit to like what I could do within that company, um, which I knew. But at yeah. the time, at that time in my life, like it was really great. Um, I was I was making like no money. I was broke, but yeah. it was I was twenty. 24 25 ish uh, 23 24 and it was just like it was fun man i i like doing it um i worked downtown 
Greenville, South Carolina, which was like, it's kind of like a very, very happening downtown. Like there's a ton of people that work down there that were my age at the time. I'd like bail out of work, go meet the friends yeah. at the bar and like do the downtown, like hang with young 20 year old <laughs> professionals. I don't know. It's cool. Yeah. Um, but while I, while I was doing that was also um, when I, I was like, man, like, this is cool, but I'm, this is not going anywhere. Like, I, I got to figure it out, like, what am I going to do, like, with my career? Um, and I, I've always been someone that's like, uh, if, I, if I don't enjoy what I'm doing, I, 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 don't, I don't do well, like, in life. Like I, if I'm not working in my passion, then I'm, I'm kind of miserable. Yeah. And so I just kind of started doing a bunch of work on like, what, what could I be doing different? And the, the things that were historically true about my entire life, I, I, I grew up in a hunting family. I'd always been a hunter. Yeah. And in college, I picked up a camera for the first time in, in 2008, first camera I ever got. And I like mm. really loved that like it was it was the first i i used to play music and i, I wrote a ton of songs that I, uh, in high school and early college um actually had an ep on itunes at one time oh there we go <laughs> yeah so i've always been creative but like photography was something that really caught my attention in college so i was like being outside hunting and photography like these are things that i'm pretty sure i always want to be doing so like how could i make a career out of that yeah and so in 2013, I started just like taking a camera into the woods and snapping pictures of my, like we'd go to Arkansas to hunt ducks and we uh, were pretty serious whitetail hunters uh, in, in South Carolina. And so I just like started doing that. Um, and then I ended up forming uh, what at the time in my estimation was like a small lifestyle brand called Carolina Legacy Outdoors with myself and four of my very best friends. Okay. And it was basically just like, we're going to go hunt and I'm going to document it. And this is like early stages of Instagram, right? Like 2013, 2014 yeah. before it like really popped in like 15, 16, 17. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've made this brand. We had t-shirts and decals and have Instagram. And I was like, this is a cool side hustle thing that like feeds my creative outlet. Yeah. Um, and I ended up like I through that. I networked with a ton of people. I kind of like realized quickly that it was not going to be selling t-shirts and truck stickers. That was like the thing that I was doing, but that I was going to really double down on photography. Um, and it was during that season that like I sold my first professional photo to uh, Matthew's archery in 2014 and okay. um, kind of like just networked on Instagram really for yeah. a couple of years um, and then uh, got got connected to uh, kind of a boutique marketing agency outside Kansas City that uh, specialized in outdoor creative production and social media management and through my years of doing my own thing at that time I had gotten like pretty dangerous at, at building an audience on social media across like Facebook pages and Instagram. Yeah. So I moved to, I left the coffee job, um, moved to Kansas city to run social media for that agency. Um, we had some pretty well-known and prominent 
uh, outdoor industry clients there. And so I, I did that for, I was in Kansas City for not quite a year. Um, Kansas City was not my favorite to be, to be just like super frank. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up moving, moved back home. Um, and I, I helped found an agency with a business partner of mine and he owned a larger like traditional marketing and advertising shop, but he, uh, the owner, uh, of that company was a very prolific, like hunter and fisherman always had been used that as like kind of a business development activity for his larger company. And he and I networked and, um, he was like, you know, would you, come do some business development and run content and like, I'll help us build this business. And I did that for about three years. Uh, we did a ton of work in the saltwater fishing space. I, I traveled my face off. Um, I was in the keys taking pictures of like fishing tarpon and doing all kinds of stuff. Like it it felt like every other week for about two and a half years. Oh, wow. So I did that. (laughs) Yeah, I did that for a while. Um, and all in all in there i'm doing like freelance photography like on the side at the same time um and and that was super cool i learned a lot about business uh from that guy that i worked with uh and i hired one of my best buddies george douglas he and i worked together there uh which was a super fun season of life uh but in doing that was like cool like i've kicked the tires pretty hard on being a freelance photographer and i know what that looks like and it's like there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Yeah. I've done the agency thing now at two different agencies. And like, I've seen how that works again, like ups and downs, like pros and cons to that. But after I'd done it for a long enough time, um, I just kind of realized like client services in an agency role capacity was just not for me. I just did, didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And so really like in outdoor creative world there's like three legs of the stool it's like you'd be a freelance creator like solo guy you could do agency stuff or you could work internal at a brand and so i was like well that there's one leg on this stool that i haven't i don't know anything about that yet so like maybe i'll figure that out um and so i'd had ambition to like shoot a filson catalog uh for for several years at that point and this is summer of 17 at this point um so I put together a proposal um, to, to do a shoot for Filson and yeah. um, sent it to the creative director there whom I had networked with previously. He liked it so much. He was like, hey, uh, I'm going to fly you out here to talk about this because this is rad. Yeah. Um, I got on a plane literally like the next week. We were supposed to have like a two hour coffee meeting. It turned into like a four hour coffee meeting plus a lunch plus a beer meeting plus a dinner and then at the end of that night he was like um did, why don't you just come run content for filson yeah and i like i had like zero plans of ever moving to seattle washington um and so that like happened really fast uh but it was a great opportunity for me at the time i took it so i, I moved to seattle um i was in seattle for uh just over two years and I, I was the head of content at Filson, um, which was super cool. Um, kind of overhauled all of our editorial content, rebuilt the Filson journal as it exists now. Uh, when oh, I wow. got there, it was like it was like a blog from like the early 2000s. Like it was it was proper bad. Yeah. 
<laughs> so like we totally overhauled that, uh, which was a massive like fourteen month project, but was super cool. Yeah, uh, worked with some really talented, really great people there. Um, really learned a lot. But again, Seattle was not my speed. Um, I didn't didn't love that. Um, and so my uh, my professional mentor, so to speak, uh, by this time uh, had taken um a, a senior creative role at sitka and so he and i started talking and i had started shooting for sitka just as a photographer in late 2013 i shot some of the prototypes for elevated two oh. in the southeast uh and that was like the first time i ever worked with sitka so i had like had a relationship with the brand as a freelance creative for years and had done sporadic projects over the course of the time i i, I photographed some waterfowl stuff. I photographed a duck hunt on Kodiak in Alaska for them in 2016. And so like there was, I had a connection there. Yeah. Um, but when I was kind of feeling like, uh, I think I've had enough of Seattle. Um, I started, uh, calling my buddy at sick and I was like, Hey, if you've ever got a spot that you think I could be of service to, to sick, I mean, I'd love to move to Montana. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah it took about a year. Um, and then, uh, August of 19, I started at Sitka. So, okay. um, yeah, man, that's, that's the, that's the trajectory as it sits thus far. <laughs> yeah. That's quite the journey. Yeah, man. It's, uh, man, I've had, I've had a lot of help. I've had yeah. people, people have answered my questions. Uh, I've, I've, I just kind of like went after it, man. I just, I said yes to a lot of opportunities that like didn't make sense at the time yeah. and then figured it out. Um, had some really great mentors along the way, learned a lot, um, but have just, uh, man, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's been a ride. Um, and I, uh, I'm glad I'm not roasting coffee. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. Mentorship, mentorship and networking. You can't do enough of yeah that's 100 percent true yeah there's the amount of people you can meet nowadays is incredible i mean just off of social media and stuff like that and you never know where it'll take you yeah man i um i i mean i attribute a ton of my whatever success i have found in my professional career thus far i attribute to like networking people who whom i've met largely on the internet or people yeah. who i was introduced to um i've had like a couple like really significant learnings over the years um of people that like shaped how i saw things how i engaged in you know business relationships how i uh kind of constructed um the 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 path uh, to the point which you can construct your own path and then yeah. like serendipity and other people help you out and steer help steer you along like man it, it's it's been critically important for me all the, the people that i've that i've met and been blessed to learn from so i can't say i, I could not overstate how important that is yeah oh, i'm with you on that so when you're talking about roasting coffee are you roasting coffee on your hunting trips as well <laughs> no no uh that was yeah <laughs> no uh i have i have i 
I have the skill set and knowledge of how yeah. to like if I if you gave me green coffee beans and a cast iron skillet and a fire, like I can do that. Yeah. I don't I don't do that, but I <laughs> I have done it. Uh it does not create the best coffee as like Americans think about coffee. But if yeah. I took that same approach and like went to Africa and did it, it would become like much more normal in how people experience coffee. Yeah. Um, is coffee's man. Coffee is so wild because it's one of those things that's like, uh, like very matrix. Like, do you want to see how deep the rabbit hole goes? Like yeah. it, it goes. um because it it's there's no end to it um people talk about wine being this like very you know complex idea and way to experience this drink um there there's like 10 times as many varietals which is like a different word for species there's 10 times as many species of coffee as there are wine grapes yeah and so it's, it's just like there's no bottom to the coffee barrel it's just like how serious do you want to get about this because that is available to you should you want to take it there yeah and i i took it pretty far for a long time um and so i'm like a i'm a pretty i i, I just know too much man like I, yeah. I know way too much about coffee so i'm like a reformed coffee snob but yeah. my the thing like i got paid to be a coffee snob i needed yeah. to be to be good at my job i needed to be a snob um so that that's been super fun, but uh, I will still. I didn't used to do this, but now I'll still drink like gas station coffee at yeah. three a.m. Arkansas on a duck hunt. <laughs> so like I'm I'm good with all of it now. Yeah, it hurt your soul a little bit at the beginning, but now you're now you're used to it. Yeah, man. It's gosh, it's like I don't know. Once you just know how good something can be. Yeah. When you have the like crap version of it, you're just like. Yeah. This is objectively, this is crap. I don't want it. Um, and I lived in that place for a long time. Yeah. What was the best coffee that like you ever had or made? Mm. Um, man, that's a tough question. Uh, I am so mm. coffee history lesson inbound. Coffee originated from Ethiopia. Okay. Um, really? It's like, where, yeah, where mm. like where the people first figured out like this is how this is what you can do with this like because yeah. it coffee co- is a fruit bearing tree looks like a cherry yeah. and it's got the seed so the coffee bean is the seed of this cherry um and you have to like take the fruit and the mucilage off of the seeds the beans what we mm. call them dry them out ro- it's just, it it like doesn't look anything like what it looks like in the bag at the store when you buy it whole yeah. bean it's like a the closest thing would be like it was like a little green like half of a pea okay. it's like really hard it's really small uh they ethiopia figured it out um <laughs> basically how you how you produce how you grow like acidity in the soil content and rainfall and how you process the coffee like you can change everything about how you do something and all of that will change like what does this taste like once it finally gets to your cup like months later? Yeah. Um, but my favorite, um, I am still to this day, I am partial to Ethiopian coffees. They tend uh, 
to be very like fruit forward. Okay. Um, and so there is a region in Ethiopia called Yergeshef, which is like a very famous coffee growing region that yeah. tends to either have very floral or very fruit forward coffees. Should they be, if it's a natural process, which is basically like you, you pick the coffee cherry and then you just like put them on these like massive dirt patios in the sun and just like let them bake for like months. And it basically wow. turns into like a raisin. And then there's a ton of different ways to get that like raisiny texture off the coffee beans. Um, and one of the ways you do that is called washed process. <laughs> We're getting really into the weeds right now. Yeah. <laughs> Ethiopian yoga chef that was naturally dried and then put through a wash process. So those, that is my favorite kind of coffee. Yeah. Um, it's very specific yeah. but it's because I know too much. <laughs> like I was saying, um, that, that has always been my favorite. So if, if you're ever at a fancy coffee shop and you see an Ethiopian Yurga chef, you should ask them, is it floral or is it fruit? If it's floral, you want to get like a lemon scone with that. And if hmm. it's fruit, you want either a uh, cherry or blueberry, like scone, muffin, something. Yeah. Just, just tr trust me on this. You know, take a bite of that muffin and chew it up a little bit and get some of that coffee in there. It will change your whole life. Like how Jeez. those things work together. Yeah. Like, this is the coffee snob. Like I just, <laughs> I know too much. Yeah. Man. yeah. Much. <laughs> You're just dialed in on the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, what's your, so that's like your favorite, favorite, but like for like coffee, that's just like the regular guy, like Black Rifle Coffee Company, Caribou, like Starbucks, whatever it is. Like, what's your favorite that people would know about? Um, that people would know Starbucks is, is all crap. Don't. Yeah. I'm not a fan of stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I think here's the, every, I'm a preface, like rewind everything I just said. <laughs> Coffee, just like any creative endeavor is entirely subjective yeah. because it's like what you like is actually all that matters yeah. because you pro you're going to like something that I don't like. Um, is it like relating coffee to my creative work? It's like yeah. photography is, is all like, is that a good photo? Well, there's a bunch of technical reasons why it might be or might not be. Some of those things are held to be true, but like there's, that only goes so far. It's yeah. the same with coffee. It's the same with food. It's like, I like it. Well, I hate it. <laughs> cool. I guess let's shake hands and be friends because it, this does not matter really. Yeah. Um, but like widely available stuff, uh, like there's a bunch of like I really like counterculture coffee. You can get a subscription to that. I don't know if you've heard of that. Okay. Uh, they're out of North Carolina. Intelligentsia is out of Chicago. Uh, Stumptown's out of Portland. Um, okay. There's like those are the three off the top of my head that I tend to really enjoy. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's going to know the best coffee, it's probably going to be you. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm out of the game, but I, I know enough to talk like I'm still in the game, I guess. Oh, yeah. 
absolutely and now that we are talking about camera a little bit um camera work now when you're helping creatives like build what they want um like what does that mean to you what are you doing to help them build or how are you making them the creative they want to be so that that's kind of my tagline right that i run with is i help creatives build the lives they want yeah um Making creativity or your creative passion into a source of income, it's like a tr- it's like a very like walled garden kind of idea. It feels very romantic, uh, but there's not a ton of people like outright telling you how to do stuff. Yeah, um, there are a handful of individuals that have like. Um, much more like signal or status within like the larger creative community than I do that kind of talk about this stuff. But within the outdoor community, there's, there's not a lot because I think that the thought is um, that like, there's only so much pie. And if somebody else is eating pie, that's pie that I could have had. It's like, I just, I, I, I fundamentally disagree with that stance because to me that's like that's a scarcity mindset and i i don't agree with that um i'm a i'm a believer that like abundance comes to people who work hard and deserve it and like that's how i view creativity um and so when i'm thinking about helping creatives build the lives they want what i what i'm acting as is like I had a ton of people help me for the last decade that I've been in this game of outdoor creative stuff. Um, I had a ton of people help me, but they more like steered me to like my own path of figuring stuff out, which was super valuable. And I'm eternally grateful for all those people. Um, However, there's still like a ton of trial and error I'm not really sure what's happening. Let me try this. That doesn't work. I got to go over here and try that instead that I had to do, which, and I learned a lot. And I think that's how most people learn. Um, But for people that are really talented, that are like really authentically hungry, that want to make this their life and their career and take this passion for creative endeavors, whether that's photography, videography, graphic design, copywriting, illustration, like you name it, painting, yeah. like I don't care. There are some like just foundational pathways and truths which I have learned that I would contend are can be like very beneficial for other people to learn earlier in their journey. Yeah. And so I just position myself as like a coach to help, to help people figure it out. And it's um, my perspective, I think is unique because I've done a ton of freelance work. I've done a ton of agency work and I've been internal at two very prominent brands. And so like I've sat at all the seats at that table, I know how to negotiate contracts. I know what stuff is worth. I know like how the flow of work happens i know what the conversations internal out of brands sound like when we're like making concepts and then pitching out to try to find people to do the work i've just been at like every seat at that table so i have a unique perspective of how do people do this actually yeah. um so when i'm thinking about 
my career and all the stuff that I've learned, um, I could just identify patterns of stuff that I've seen repetitively that, that I'm like, this is a thing. There's something here. Let's investigate like what, what is the core truths that are underlying this thing, which I have experienced in multiple ways. And then that is a lesson. There's a, there's like a bedrock of lessons in there. Um, that if you were so armed with these lessons that you would be really much better set up to pursue a career in a creative field. And so I share that stuff and I I offer, you know, I do one-on-one creative coaching with people that are into that, where we can just get really into the weeds of, you know, tell me what, what challenge are you facing in your creative path right now and i've probably experienced it or something adjacent to it from which i can draw something that i lived through or learned and pass it off to you that will help you solve the problem that you're experiencing and so tactically that's what i do is i help people solve their creative problems um and man i i love it i love doing it yeah that's awesome all you can ask for is love what you do yeah and for and like you made a great point on like the pie example because i feel like most people nowadays are seeing i mean there's a bunch of people that are trying to be creative a ton of people on social media and i feel like that also plays into people not really wanting to do it because they feel like there's not any work available well Competition is with it, so within the outdoor space. Yeah. And, I, and I'll say I'll, that's broader than like hunt fish. I'm inclusive yeah. of like outdoor rec. Like, yeah. And we'll just say like doing commercial work for large brands is like generally what gets people like that. My eyes light up when we're talking yeah. about this. Like, that would be so cool if I could do this. Yeah. But to your point, literally everyone that I think that I follow on Instagram is doing this. Um, I have a couple thoughts on that. One, like Instagram is not real. (laughs) Full stop, period. So just because you follow 74 dudes that are doing it doesn't mean that the whole world is doing it. Yeah. Um, That being said, like creativity is a very, like it's a, um, it's like a meritocracy of like who gets the work. And it's like, do you, are you good? Do you have the relationships with the people that are the gatekeepers and decision makers of the, like, are, can you get this job? Yes or no. Yeah. It, and it's like the people that work hard, get it. And the people that are talented and develop yeah. their talent, get it. And so, yeah, the competition is super real and there's a ton of very talented people and it, it, can be uh it can be really challenging to break into that space however if you actually want it and you're willing to be patient which is like the main thing it's like everyone wants like immediate gratification now because everyone's like dopamine addicted to their phone and like i need it right now yeah and you just transfer that to every area of your life that's just not the way that building a career works it's just it's just 
doesn't work that way. Um, so the competition is, is super real, but if you want it, like most people quit, yeah, they just do like most people quit. Um, and so if you have like a baseline of talent and you're willing and you're willing to develop that over the course of years, there's no reason that anyone with that baseline of talent and a work ethic that can sustain like the path that you're going to start on. There's no reason mm. anybody can't do this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Cause yeah, I mean, you think about all the people that, I mean, do feed off a of dopamine like that and maybe they take pictures for six months, a year, whatever it is, but they're not seeing the growth that they want and they just yeah. want to quit. They just, they don't see a future in it. So then they go try to do something else. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the whole narrative of uh like go to war till you get what you want is like it's a really sexy narrative. And it's it that's super right for a ton of people. You know what yeah. else is true? It's also super wrong for a ton of people. Yeah. Like one of the things that I am convinced is good, and especially for for people who are like younger and trying to figure out what they want to do, is that there's this pressure that you have to know what you're doing at all times yeah i have to figure this out i vehemently disagree with that i think people should, you should just try way more stuff just yeah. try way more stuff and then like you should quit way more stuff early like try it yeah. see what you feel about it does this pique your interest if not quit it like yeah. take another job do it for six months i hate yeah. this quit get another yeah. job like you should try way more stuff because what that does is it provides you like opposite and adjacent perspectives from which you can start to like hone in on what you're actually good at what yeah. you actually care about things that you do that are then validated by the market wherein people tell you hey you are gifted at this thing i think that you should pursue that and that will come from people whom you did not ask for that feedback from and when you start getting like multiple touch points like that, it like funnels you into your natural gifting to the things that you care about, to the work that like won't suck your soul out of your body when you're trying to sleep at night. <laughs> like if you and you can't do that unless you try a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. And so I think you should, I think people should try way more. So it's why when I, I like. I worked in ministry. I did landscaping. I poured concrete. I roasted coffee. I sold like social media. Or, like I've done a bunch of stuff that all of that led me to what I'm doing now in part because it informed me just as much as it informed me what I like. It informed me what I don't like, which is just critically important. And I think, uh, I think a ton of people, especially now it's like, if you're not getting traction, if you're not moving fast, if your career and your life isn't always going up and to the right, there's this pressure that's like, I'm a failure. I am not succeeding. No, yeah. wrong. Like you're on your path, your trajectory uh, that will lead you to where you're supposed to go. You're just in the process. And if you are accepting of the process, you can take the damn monkey off <laughs> your back and just like, just take a second, breathe. Okay, today didn't go that well. This last six months, this job didn't go that well. But like, 
I'm, I'm a driven person. I know that I will continue to work hard. Things will come my way and I will have a different perspective in another six months from now. Like that is always true. Yeah. Like one of the things that I say um, to people that I work, creatives that I work with all the time is that progress is a trajectory, not a destination. And a lot of times that trajectory involves like staggered setbacks, but you're still like over the course of time, you will trend to where you want to go. If you just like keep at it. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, my father always says to fail early. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do something, fail early and learn about it and then go try something else. That's really good advice, man. Yeah. Um, one of the things my uncle told me that my uncle, uh, he owns his own architecture firm down in Macon, Georgia. And he told me this, gosh, probably 15 years ago. I'll never forget it. The course of your professional life and your career is like, if you, you step into the workforce, you get handed an empty tool belt. Yeah. You got no tools in there. You got nothing. <laughs> you just need to like, do something. And then like at your first job, some guys be like, here's the hammer, figure out how to use swing it. And then you're like, cool, I got one tool. Uh, yeah, I hit stuff with it. I'm like, that's it. And then you like get good enough at hitting stuff with a hammer. And then somebody's like, here's a tape measure. Yeah. Here's a Phillips head screwdriver. Here's a speed square, you know, like, and over the course of your career, different jobs, you, you, get handed a bunch of different tools and you figure out how to use them. And some of them you can be like, I have no, I have no use for this chalk line, right? Like yeah. I don't do anything with chalk lines. Like this yeah. is not for me, like pitch it. It's yeah. not for me, but like freaking Phillips head screwdriver, like, ah, uh, this is, seems good. And if I could take this and figure out how to get like the freaking lithium drill that has the same thing, that would be more efficient. And like, that's actually really interesting to me. Yeah. So over the course of your whole career, you're just accumulating tools. The ones you hate, you ditch them. The ones you like, you that you see efficiency with, or you have a natural inclination to use or be interested in, how do you up-level that tool to go from like handheld screwdriver to power drill? Like then somewhere in your career, now you've got a tool belt it's like fairly well equipped. You know what you're doing. You have some talent with these tools and then you're on your way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. It's just, you're adding stuff that you need and throwing stuff away that you don't. And that's just the way of life. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Cause yeah, I mean, that's, that's all you can do. You want to find your path and you just gotta, like you're saying, you just gotta find your funnel. That's the biggest part of it. Yeah, that's right. And like with creatives that you're helping out, what are some of the biggest problems that you see that they run into? Like, what's the most common thing that people come to you asking for help? Uh, how to talk about money. Mm. That's a great one. Cause I feel like a lot of young guys, whether they're yeah. going to outfitters or they're going to a new project, they just don't know how to, how to ask for the right amount. Yeah. So some of this is like, there are some, some like gross generalizations that are usually true. One of those is that creative types tend to be like generally a certain type of personality. 
they see the world in a certain way. They grew up in a certain type of home. They're more left brain, like mm-hmm. creative art people. Yeah. Versus like right brain analytical numbers. Like here's the contract, brass tax type A. Like there's some overlap that I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm making sweeping generalizations. Yeah. But generally, people that are very creative aren't good at talking about money yeah. uh, because it's, it's, a, it's an entirely different skill set wherein creative types are like, this is my passion. I love this stuff. I love going out. I love, you know, making images or, or shooting short films or painting or like whatever. And then they're like, it would be so cool if I could figure out how to like make a life out of this and get paid to do it. And then when you try to make that transition, so many people just, they're like, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's because it's, it's a completely different skill set um, that most creative types do not, haven't been exposed to. Um, and so the thing that I talk to people about the most is like how to monetize your art your creativity, your, the thing that you do, how do you make money doing this? How do you bid projects? How do you do business development and network with people that can hire you? And when you get on the phone with them, like, what do you say? How much is the thing that I do worth actually? How do I figure that out? Because I'm not always going to have you in the background, Craig, like telling me what this might be worth. Like what are the scenarios and skills that I can learn to try to figure out like, how to turn my passion into a career. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, man, I talk about money all the time. That's the most common thing that I discuss with people. Yeah. What's the biggest like corner that you give them when talking about money? Um, The biggest one is um, I'm man. I'm a huge believer in like establishing relationship with people uh and just like talking norm normally like being friends with someone and be like this is what i do you're a creative director at this brand like you need what i do like let's figure this out i'd love to help you because you have a job to do this i have a thing that you need like let's staff it up and like do some work um and so i i teach people how to build relationships uh first and foremost um and then after that it's just like understand one of the like i have a bunch of like little key phrases that i use yeah um kind of kind of like the progress is a trajectory not a destination another one that i say a lot it's just kind of a joke but it's true is um you can't buy a ferrari at a kia dealership yeah and so what i mean by that is like a, a bunch of creatives are like here's what my work is worth and i'm just like okay let's assume that that's true um, look at who you're talking to and try to do some like quick math on how big do you think that company is? What do you think their marketing budgets are? Yeah. And if you owned that company, would you have that much money to pay you to do what you just said? Because yeah. the answer is probably going to be no. <laughs> and so there's just like ways to figure out like, here's what the project is. This is what the deliverables are. Here's how all these assets, photographs, pages written in a editorial story, minutes of video, whatever it is, doesn't matter. There are ways to figure out like 
this is probably what that is worth to this company because this company is going to use the stuff that I create to do this, to get more readers, to sell more jackets, like whatever. And so there's ways to like do some figuring yeah. to say, you know, if I'm going to take a trip for three days and take photos and the client wants this many assets to go in the catalog and the website and social media, and it's around a product launch for this new thing, I can charge this much money. Yeah. And there's ways to just figure that out. Um, and so I, I teach people how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great thing to definitely learn about and understand because yeah, that is, oh gosh. Um, I feel like that is a big problem that people need to understand how much they can actually pay. Cause I mean, if you're going to an out, a small outfitter and you're requesting all this money, it's pretty hard for them to cash that out. They don't have that budget. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's an, ex- I mean, it is the thing with uh, freelance creativity live in that way. It, it is as pure a free market as I know of, because this is, it's an exchange of value. I provide a service and a good. I travel, I take photos. Yeah. You're going to use photos for your marketing material. Well, what are you trying to do actually with this marketing material? You have, you know, a, a, to your outfitter example, you've got, you know, a certain hunt that's doing whatever. Uh, you know, you're, it's a five-day thing. Your, your client rate is this. You're going to run ha- however many of those trips a year. And so you're trying to like bring in new business to book your hunts for the season. How much material do you need actually to market what you do as an outfitter to the world? Like how how many pictures do you need? How many videos do you need? Yeah. There's not an answer for that. It's so individual to everyone's circumstance. Um, And so as a creative type, when you're like looking for work and, you know, trying to figure out, who is an available customer? Uh, that's that's the whole game, man. and so yeah. it, it's just doing doing the relational thing, and then figuring out the math of like I provide this value, you're selling this thing. Let's make that make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I kind of want to, um, and so for like your projects that you're going on is most of the stuff that you do now for just Sitka um you mean things that i go on like yeah like projects that you go like work for um yeah so most of the stuff um i'm in more of a kind of like director capacity at sitka i do shoot some things for sitka personally like with my own camera yeah Uh, but i'm much more in the position of directing and producing content. And so I'm hiring other people to go out and do things. But, um, you know, I, I uh, direct and produce a ton of our film projects. And so I'm, I'm working from, from concept to pre-production, to shoot, to post-production, to delivery, like all the things. Like I'm, I'm much more involved at like a 30,000 foot view at okay. Sitka than I am. Like I do travel, I go into the field a good bit. Um, but, uh, I am more useful at a strategy and director level than I am, uh, just like a, a one person shooter myself most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I got you. Well, then that'd be, uh, that'd be pretty sweet. Cause the films that you guys come out with are insane. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate that. We work hard on them. <laughs> yeah, they are insane. Yeah. Like, yeah, just... we've uh, we've got some new ones coming out real yeah. soon. Real soon. Yeah. yeah. Is there uh, is there any like certain hunt that you could like talk about that gives one away? Um, I think this is this is pretty well out there already, and like you said this podcast will probably go up next week which will be real close we're uh i could talk about this um we're launching turkey as a category okay um yep and so that's uh one of the big projects that i've worked on uh for the past year really uh probably a little more than a year is all of our uh all of our material all of our films all of our photography all of our assets that we go into launching an entirely new category and so for us this is you know this is the first new category that we launched since we came out with um whitetail which was like and we launched white whitetail in 2011 maybe yeah so over a decade so you know Sika's big game or that's where we started waterfowl whitetail um and now we're launching turkey um and so we've got some turkey films coming out uh very soon that'll be sweet uh, yeah yeah it's pretty cool it's, it's a it's a good way for us to uh you know it's interesting you know me co- coming from the south i i grew up in aiken county uh south carolina and the nwtf headquarters is like in Edgefield, about 25 minutes from the house that I grew up in. And so like turkey hunting uh-huh. in the South is like, man, it's damn near religion. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's <laughs> serious. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so it's been super fun for me to work on that. Um, you know, we, we, we traveled all over and did some, did some really cool work for all the launch material for that. You know, we hunted turkeys and <laughs> Mississippi, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, New York, Nebraska, Kansas, Montana, Oklahoma. Oh wow. Tech no in yeah, Texas, Alabama, and Florida. I think that's Jeez. it. So that was eleven. Um so yeah, it's it's been cool for us because it's it's a way, you know. There's turkey hunters all over the country, but it, it is it is a very serious thing, like in the south and the southeast. Um, and it's a it's a way for us to to serve that consumer and meet a consumer that's like a really dedicated turkey hunter in the southeast, um, which is not a consumer that historically, you know, we have talked to or served with specific products to what they do at home. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been super exciting. I'm, I'm really, really pumped for all that to come out um we the reason i'm saying i could talk about it is because we had the nashville wild turkey federation show was in nashville yeah uh two weekends ago we had some stuff there so like it's out there it's just yeah. not like it's not you can't buy it on the website just yet yeah um but that's launching very soon we'll have a bunch of films on that so pretty pumped on that yeah that'll get people hyped up for turkey season because i mean people are getting people are itching right now i'm seeing everywhere yeah yep yeah it's all man i think every year it gets earlier and earlier oh yeah <laughs> like 
I'm like scrolling Instagram and somebody's got a video of like just a turkey just hammering. And I'm like, it's negative 18 outside right now. Like this is not, I'm not ready for this. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for all the stuff to launch. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be sweet. Cause I mean, turkey hunting, I'm, I'm getting pumped about turkey hunting, even though our season's still until like a month and a half away. But I mean, yeah, you, uh, you guys were mid April, late April. Yeah. Mid April. Yeah. 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 So our season starts like the second week of April, but we usually hunt the third week. Um, but God, yeah, that it gets me ready seeing all this Turkey stuff posting about and like everybody just getting super hyped about it. Cause I mean, there's still even spring snow goose going on and I still got to do that before I even Turkey hunt. So it's like, I yep. feel like the hype's more around turkey hunting right now than it is spring snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true, man. Like, but are you uh, doing some turkey hunting out in Montana? Um, yeah, I'll probably chase them around out here. Um, I've I've got some invites to some other states, so I'll, I'll probably focus on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll be I'll be poking around this spring. Yeah. What's the What's the just all around hunting like in montana like are you oh, it's, like it's for ter- you? it's terrible no one should come <laughs> here there's nothing competition is bad <laughs> like are you like with being a resident out there are you able to get like over-the-counter elk tags and stuff like that or how does because i mean for me like if i want to go out to wyoming and hunt elk or whatever i have to get a bunch of preference points and stuff like that so i was just wondering what's it like out there for a resident to be able to go hunt uh yeah my, i mean i joke about it like no one should come uh as a <laughs> resident as a resident like there's there's a lot of opportunity so yeah. um montana does a really good job of managing like zones for opportunity and then zones for like trophy opportunity yeah uh there's been some new legislation that came through recently um but you know as a as a resident on a general tag i can hunt elk deer antelope bear turkey waterfowl every year yeah um which is pretty cool um it's it's a very montana like non-resident hunting is like quite expensive here um which like i'm a fan of yeah um but like it's expensive for a reason because there's so much land and like oh yeah if you do some good e-scouting like your opportunity in montana is just as good as anywhere else so yeah yeah because yeah. yeah i mean the amount of public lands you guys have out there to go hunt is absurd like there's so much public land compared yeah, to minnesota not, and stuff like that yeah, it's not bad, man. Um, which was like one of my, man, I I wanted to live in the West since I was a little kid, because uh, my my grandfather that taught taught me how to hunt, like taught me how to shoot on a single shot bolt action twenty two with a peep and a post when I was six years old. Yeah, he he would hunt Wyoming every year for mule deer and antelope, and so growing up, you know, we'd always do Christmas at his house. And there's like mule deer mounts and antelope mounts in the house, uh, which was like, I, you know, even from like a very young age, I knew like 
those are not here because here yeah. was South Carolina. Yeah. And you have to like go somewhere to do that. And then we do the old, I'm, I'm 34. So I was born in 87. So early nineties, I'm like flipping through, you know, old photo albums. And I just have like vivid memories of seeing, you know, my grandfather and my dad, like hunting, uh, hunting in Wyoming. And I was like, I'm going to do that one day. Yeah, and it made it made such an impression on me that at a young age I was like, yeah, I want to live in the West at some point, like yeah. for an extended period of time. I want to live in the West, uh, and like hunting and being in the mountains is like that was why. So yeah. it's it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. What does it look like to get like a sheep tag out there if you're a resident? So, um, you can hunt the unlimiteds as a resident every single year if you don't kill. Uh, so that's just like an over-the-counter sheep tag, but it's a, um, the unlimiteds is like, it's a zone within a certain mountain range. And then every year there's like a quota of sheep that can be killed. It's usually very small. Yeah. Um, but you, and like. Uh, I'm going to, a bunch of my sheep buddies like might be cringy if I'm going to dive into this because I haven't done it. So like, I, I know enough to like get some of the details wrong, yeah. Yeah. but the punchline is it'll be like a super short, like a handful of sh- maybe two or three sheep that can get taken per year. It's an over the counter tag. You can buy it and go. Um, but the punchline is you have to like check in with Montana FWP like every day. And uh-huh. if you kill a sheep, I think, and this is the part, like, do not quote me on this. This is not solid advice to anybody listening. I'm pretty sure this is the way that it is. I think if you kill a sheep, you have, I think you have either, I think you have 24 hours to report it. It might be, it might be 12. I'm not sure. But basically if you get a sheep down, you have to do like everything you can to like get it out get on a sat phone, get to service and say like, Hey, I got one because then every, everybody else that's hunting sheep needs to know, has the quota been filled? Because if it, if let's say there were two sheep that got killed and one's already been killed. So there's a bunch of people hunting for one sheep. You need to know as soon as that one gets killed, like season's over game over, Mm -hmm. like you're done. Um, And so that is like, it's a very it's an extremely difficult hunt um i have buddies that do it there are stories of people that like dedicate their whole lives to hunting the unlimiteds um oh wow and it's i think if if you kill one you have to wait seven years before you can do it again um but that's like that's an over-the-counter sheep hunt as a resident which is like in the lower 48 is like i that's super rare like yeah super rare yeah. um obviously there are like other sheep tags that you can draw in montana but that is an opportunity that is afforded to you as a resident over the counter in montana yeah. uh, which is super cool yeah if you want to go get your teeth absolutely kicked into the back of your neck and the bear tooths <laughs> yeah yeah that is really cool that they allow that because, I mean, everywhere else you go, I mean, you're waiting, like, all your life, I feel like, for most 
for most states. Yeah, like you, I mean, and it's it's that way here for like certain sheep draws. Yeah, uh, you know, like if you if you want to hunt like bighorns um, in the breaks. Yeah, it's like I don't know how, I don't know how many points that takes, but a lot. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I uh, my buddy, um, his family has a ranch in the breaks. Um, like up in what town is it? I think it starts with a W. Um, but I mean, we would go up there and like search for sheep after we'd like work all day. And it was crazy. Like we, at one point we got over this bridge and there was like four or like, no, like eight just monster rams. And they just like, we were like 30 yards away from them. And they just like looked at us and just kind of just kept walking. Like didn't care at all because they just don't see anybody out there. Yeah. And they're not worried about hunting at all. Yeah. That's true, man. It's, that's wild country up there. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. Like that part of Montana along the Missouri river was like mm-hmm. just really neat to go experience. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And I, I should definitely, well, I'm not, I do not classify myself as a sheep hunter. Yeah. Um, I've never been on a sheep hunt. I would love to go someday, yeah. but but I'm not a good source of, of intel um, for sheep. I would point uh, anybody that wants to learn about sheep to my good friend, Adam Foss, whom I know you have recorded a podcast with. Yeah, um, He knows all, all the things about the sheep. <laughs> oh, he, I mean, we had a great conversation about sheep. He was, he's super into sheep hunting. Uh. Him and his brother, they Adam would never say this about himself. And he's if he knows if he listens to this, he's gonna be pissed that I said this. But like they're the like two of the most serious, deadly sheep hunters like on the planet alive. Yeah. Bar none, full full stop, like great dudes. Yeah. Grew up sheep hunting, like very serious sheep guys. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the terrain up there that he was talking about sounds insane as well to get up to some of those sheep. Yeah, I mean, they they hunt uh, they hunt everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, as a uh, Adam's a, Adam and Frankie, his wife, they're D.C. residents. And so yeah. You can hunt sheep uh, every year as a B.C. resident, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, you know, a ton of opportunity for that as well. Yeah. Oh, I hear it on that. And I want to hear more about the shed hunting that you were talking about. How is the, like, do you do a lot of shed hunting in the spring in Montana? I, d- I don't, man. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll get out a little bit. Um, I have some friends that take it, like, very, like, more seriously than hunting for meat. Yeah. Um, it's it is super competitive yeah. like like in some zones it's problematically competitive yeah um yeah just because like i don't know man there's a ton of reasons and this is a little bit of like a sticky topic because i think it's super cool and i think people should be allowed to do it yeah but it gets so competitive where like people are pressuring animals like while it's still winter to try to like locate them and 
do their best to figure out where, you know, there's a 400 inch bull over here. And like, there's eight dudes that know that that bull lives in there and they're all in there super early trying to be like, has he dropped yet? Has he dropped yet? And you're just like pressuring wildlife at a very precarious time during the like annual, the annual calendar for that wildlife. And it, it can become really problematic. That's not why I don't do it a ton. Yeah. Um, quite honestly, like the spring, I try to like get my, my work schedule is wonky because like I work in hunting, but I also like to hunt as much as I can. <laughs> but if I'm doing a ton of productions in the fall, I can't be gone for like large swaths of time. If I yeah. haven't set myself up to be gone. Yeah. for large swaths of time and so i tend to get pretty busy in the spring so like like turkey is happening yeah and then like for, for a pretty short season and then that's kind of, and then like hunting kind of stops right yeah i tend to get busy in the spring because i'm trying to like front load and do as much work in the spring as i can so that when september comes like the back two weeks of september like i'm out see ya i'm i'm gone <laughs> elk or bugling like yeah <laughs> here's my out of office email but i can't do that unless i make myself busy in the spring and so yeah. i i kind of sacrifice like i just don't i, I don't yeah. put a ton of energy into shed hunting because yeah. i i care more about when they're still attached yeah yeah <laughs> oh i hear you on that yeah, yeah it definitely makes a lot of sense because i mean you're working in the hunting industry but also you love to hunt so i mean yeah definitely plays both sides to it and i could definitely see where you come from chasing elk sounds a lot more a lot more fun than trying to find the sheds yeah man it's all just like what, what people are into yeah i mean uh you know steven steven drake who's uh one of our photographers at Sitka, like admittedly like to the entire world he'd be like i love shed hunting more than everything else yeah which is like cool, like good, yeah. good for you. Yeah, um, yeah. it's cool. Yeah. yeah, cause yeah, I would always see his posts about, I mean, just chasing after sheds. I feel like that's all he does in the spring. It's all he does all year. I mean, he made he made a master class for shed hunting, like <laughs> like a class that you can buy that will teach you how to be a better shed hunter. Like that dude loves shed hunting. Yeah, which is rad. But yeah. it just gets into the whole like, man, in the West and especially here, uh, because Bozeman is like a, a relative to Montana is like a very population dense zone. There's just a lot of interest for shed hunting in like near proximity to town. Yeah. It, and it gets like people go to like really extreme lengths to. Oh, I believe secretive and like. Like I know people that have like completely like second vehicles that they keep in their garage that never get posted pictures of anywhere that like, that's the truck that they drive to the trailhead when they want to shed hunt a certain zone so that people won't know that it's them in there because like, like people know, like Stephen Drake has a Tacoma with a four wheel campers in the back of it. And like yeah. people know that I have black tundra with a roof rack and all the things yeah. it's like you like the length to which people go 
to try to like be secretive about where they hunt and where they shed hunt. It's like it's kind of impressive to be yeah. honest. Um, and so yeah, it's it's neat. Yeah. And what's what's the elk hunting like? I mean, during archery season when they're bugling and all that kind of stuff. Because I hear just crazy stories about elk hunting during that time period. Um, you you mean just like what's my experience yeah. with it? Uh, I mean, growing up in the southeast and like, and I, I I grew up in like a period of outdoor media where it was like, you know, I was watching hunting TV like before Bone Collector and all, like any of the stuff. People that think like Bone Collector is old, yeah, I was like way before that. Um, I thought like Buckmasters and like Bucks Tecamati and old school primos stuff and so i grew up watching you know primos films like hunting in new mexico and colorado and just like bugling elk and all i knew was whitetails when i was a kid and so i thought about elk hunting for forever before yeah. i got to do it um my first elk hunting season was 2018 and so i'm still like a relative newcomer uh to it but i hunted in idaho I was living in Seattle at the time. I hunted in Idaho in the fall of 18 uh, with a couple buddies. And we had like, we got lucky and had like a very serious bull encounter to which I was like up to bat. It was my turn. Yeah. I didn't, I did not lose an arrow, but we got within bow range of like a very serious bull that was like coming in on a string and then the wind just flipped and like that that period of like that one day like changed my what i felt about hunting forever yeah like having a creature that can sound like that and be that loud just ab like responding to you and like knowing that he thinks that i'm a challenger and he's coming over here to try to kill me yeah. like that was so cool man <laughs> uh so yeah man i mean those last two weeks of september when they're doing it right i mean there's nothing like that for me and yeah. i mean i'm i'm like a generalist hunter I, I hunt everything but if you were gonna say like craig what's your favorite yeah uh bow hunting out during the rut like yeah. not close yeah yeah that, i mean you hear the like bugles on video and it's chilling i could only imagine what it's like being in the mountains and hearing that yeah i mean that that first that bull in idaho the first bugle i ever heard like live in person i like i like i was struggling to stand up i had so much like buck fever adrenaline happening i yeah. was like okay i just came unglued <laughs> Man, it was awesome <laughs> what states have you hunted for elk uh just idaho and montana thus far wow. yeah i've got <clears throat> i'm doing i've been putting in points for a bunch of states for a long time yeah um but i'm kind of like strategically trying to plan out when yeah. i might draw certain states so yeah 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 fair enough because yeah i'm i gotta put in for an elk tag and mule deer tag in uh, wyoming That'll probably be my first big game hunt because I mean I 
I had a mentor who's taken me hunting like all my life for waterfowl. He's like, dude, put in like as soon as you can. So I've been putting in for elk since I was like 10 or 11 and now I'm 21. So I have like 10 preference points that for Wyoming. That, oh, wow. You can hunt some good spots with 10 yeah. points in Wyoming. Yeah. Have you, have you considered, do you want to do like DIY? Yeah. Stuff? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there's in Wyoming, they have a really strong outfitter association. So you can only hunt wilderness if you're, if you hire an outfitter. Okay. But um with 10 or 11 points you could hunt like very serious parts of wyoming if you yeah. wanted yeah uh, but if it's if it some of that the reason i asked is some of those spots are in wilderness so you'd have to go guided um, okay like legally you'd have to go guided but yeah. there's a bunch of there's there's great zones in wyoming that aren't in wilderness uh where you can go diy to yeah yeah, because I've been I've been just sitting on those and I'd like to do it in the upcoming years. Um once I get out of college, that's kind of what I'm waiting for. And yeah. I have like and I have more money to spend on a trip out there. But yeah, I'm thankful that he told me to put in when I was like eleven. Cause now I just yeah. have a bunch of points hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Good for you, man. I didn't I didn't start putting in for stuff until I was like twenty five. Yeah. Like I didn't I didn't have anybody uh that like at the time in my life, I didn't have anybody that could expose me to Western hunting. Yeah. So I, I in college, I we, me and my buddies, we got really into traveling for ducks, and so we did yeah. that um, a lot. And then towards the end of college, we started traveling for whitetail. We hunted public for whitetails um, and had some success doing that. Yeah. But I didn't. Yeah, that that elk hunt in 2018 in Idaho was my first Western Western big game hunt. Okay. Um, so I'm still I'm still relatively new to that myself. I've I've had some buddies like really helped me in the last couple of years, and I've I've had some good success. And um, yeah. but yeah, man, it's a it's a it's a totally different game. That's like being from the southeast. I still have so many friends from back home. Yeah, it's like you know you just check two boxes on the website, and then they send you your five deer tags. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> have at it. Um, but like applying and preference points and tags and permits and licenses, it's like it is, it is problematically confusing. Oh yeah, like hunting, Western hunting specifically, is so complex yeah. that if you don't have someone that's willing to like teach you how to do, even like how to get into it, yeah, it's so hard to get into. Which is like in my view, that's like a real problem for you know the the growth and proliferation of this lifestyle that we love of, of hunting if you're going to yeah. say like western hunting is a big part of that like it's just such a high barrier to entry yeah um which for certain things is appropriate because like the resource demands that the barrier to entry be high because that yeah. population or whatever that can't sustain uh you know a ton of attention and so kind of like the unlimited sheep tag in montana it's like uh, two sheep and that's it yeah um but other things it's like yeah, I live in like Alabama and I would just like to go uh, you know, hunt mule deer in Idaho. Yeah. And like you gotta jump through all these hoops. <laughs> um and it's it's tough, man. And and really the only thing that I know of that's like relatable is there's a ton of like over the counter elk zones in Colorado where you can like go to a gas yeah. station and buy an elk tag. But that is 
generally like not how it is yeah oh yeah 100 because yeah i never like i never understood it when he said it like he would talk to me about it a little bit he's just like trust me just put in for put in for the points like just don't pay like don't pay attention to it once you get older you're like realize like what it's worth yeah. and i'm like yeah fair enough so like i never really understood like what all the points mean and like i was just like okay Wyoming, I go here, I get my bull elk tag, and then I get my buck mule deer tag, and I call it good. And uh, and so now it's like, oh yeah, like thank God I went and did that. Yeah, yeah, so, that was good. You got some good advice right there. Yeah, so I'm uh I'm pretty pumped about that. I'll try to go do that. Like hopefully DIY if I can, um, in whatever zone with a couple buddies and kind of just go hang out and try to shoot yep. an elk. So very cool. That'd Very cool, man. But yeah, dude. I know. Uh, I know we might be running up on time here, and I just want to say uh, thanks for jumping on. And if there's anything else that we didn't cover that you'd love to cover before we go, um, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Um, I'm always grateful and humbled when people ask me to be on their podcast and share my story. Um, Nothing super specific to share. Easiest place to find me, uh, you know, for your audience is on Instagram. Um, I'm building a new website, like we talked about before we started recording, but it's not yeah. not quite ready yet. Yeah. Uh, but just find me on Instagram, Craig Francis Creative. Um, I do pretty regular uh, a live AMAs on there where I answer questions from create uh, aspiring creative professionals. Um, that's like that's the easiest place to find me. Uh, I'm yeah. always I'm always down to chat with people. Shoot me a DM um yeah yeah thanks thanks for thanks for the chat bro appreciate it thank you so much i had a blast getting to chat with you that was so much fun we'll have to definitely do another one once uh you know maybe once elk season starts and we can talk a little bit about that yeah man um i'll be yeah september i've got i've got some other mule deer plans this this fall uh, so I'll be pretty busy through through November, but I'm around. Yeah. We'll figure something out. Yeah, absolutely, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah, you have a good one. All right. You too, buddy. See ya. Bye.